Warning, the Catholic Man Show contains high levels of manliness. It's simple, really. You either want to grow in virtue and holiness, or you want to be a sissy whiny baby. If you choose to move forward, grab your whiskey glass, because the Catholic Man Show is starting right now. Welcome to the Catholic Command Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. Adam Minahan here, sitting with David Niles to my right. To my left, we have a very uh, special guest, a friend that I have. We have been trying our best to get on for about a year. We have to blame COVID for this. But luckily, we have uh, been able to get him on the show. Father Aquinas Gilbo, he is the prior of the Priory of Immaculate Conception, mm-hmm. and he is also uh, a frequent provider of content for the Thomistic Institute, Aquinas 101. Mm-hmm. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Adam. It's great to be here. I'm glad we were able to do this finally after a year. Yes, and you were, you gave a great uh, talk on the domestic church last night for the Alcuin Institute of Catholic Culture, which is a really cool part about like being here in the Diocese of Tulsa, like having the this institute. Uh, but and it was very well received. You know, we're finally getting to the point where people are interested in, in getting back together. So it's mm-hmm. just nice to have Catholics in a room together, eating and drinking and learning a little bit about our faith. No, thanks for that invitation, too. It was a great event last night. Uh, nice to be able to make the connection between the House of Studies and the Thomistic Institute and uh, and the Alcuin Institute. It's good to learn about you guys and uh, also just the amazing things that are happening out here in Tulsa. It was great to be in a full room last night and uh, and then at Mass this morning at uh, Holy Family Cathedral here in Tulsa. As I told you after Mass, it's been a year since I've seen that many people in church at one time. And so oh, wow. it's, it's great to... Uh, yeah, this has been a big, a big boost uh, for me. So, is this your you. first trip to Tulsa? First Maybe. visit. What yeah. do you think of the cathedral? It's beautiful. I just love yeah, it. Yeah, I made a I gym out here in, uh, in uh, yeah, the sanctuary is absolutely gorgeous, and, and the whole church, the windows, the I mean, all of the appointments, mm-hmm. it's it's great, and it seems like you've got a great rector there, uh, other priests, deacons, and uh, no people who are on fire with the gospel. So it's great to it's great to be there this morning. So thank you. And I played a little bit of a uh, sales pitch on him that. I didn't take him to Clear Creek Abbey on purpose this time, <laughs> ah, so yes, that I like we it. have to bring him back. There so are other can, things to you see. You will have That's to right. come back. Exactly. Yes. No, no, no. We're already planning the next trip. So thank you. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. 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 So um, tonight we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about temperance. We're gonna talk about uh, the virtue of temperance, and uh, we will imbibe in a little bit of a, a drink this evening. Temperately. Temperately. Yeah. Yes. Torbeg. 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 Uh, this evening. I've never had this. I've never even heard of it, to be honest with you. In fact, I'm getting to the point where if I go to the Scotch aisle and I'm not familiar with one, I just go ahead and grab it. Might as well. Because it's like, ah, this is one I've never heard of before. Mm -hmm. Um, You haven't heard of it either, Dave? No. Uh, But it's shaped by the the Island of Sky. It's a 2017 The Legacy series. It's a... They say it's uh, aged in oak casks and it's smoke and brine. It's, It's kind of the... It has a little bit of... Peat, temperately well peated is, is what it smoke and brine part of the name or like the series or I, I think it I that's think just they're like just part a, of the a description maybe just part of the description okay. or robustly uh, robustly 
unimpeded and spirit with a deceptively refined characters resulting in a complex and char- characterful merit uh, whiskey. The nose reminds me a lot of Ardbeg. Really? Well, yeah. it, the color even looks like Ardbeg. The color also looks like Ardbeg. Yeah. But then, even more nice. than that, on the nose, it's it's Ardbegian. Yeah, iodine. Yeah. Smell. So we're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Cheers. Cheers to Jesus. Cheers. Cheers, Juan. Juan on the buttons this evening. Did I mention that? I'm sorry if I didn't, Juan. I apologize, but we're grateful for Juan. He's been a huge help this weekend as well. We are sans Jim. He's uh, feeling a little under the weather, so he stayed home this evening. It is kind of, it is kind of like Ardbeg. It's a little sweeter and a little saltier. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it kind of the initial. Uh, Father, are you familiar with Ardbeg? 10? I'm not. It's a, it's a, it's a staple at my house because it's about forty two dollars. Okay, and very delicious. Uh, like-, like real smoky, mm-hmm. real peaty, heavy on the iodine. Exactly all of the things that, like, the gross stuff that you, <laughs> like, really treasure in a scotch. Well, when you put it together. Right, yeah, nice. exactly. Uh-huh. Um, so this kind of starts, to me, it starts off a lot. In, this is really good. In, in, in that is. same way, yeah. And I think, so I, I certainly think that people are going to be more familiar with Ardbeg 10 than they are with Torabeg. Mm-hmm. Um, but this has a sweetie, like a sweeter kind of up front um, and, and so, definitely saltier. I do. I, I catch the salty. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, and it's not that bad a price. I think it's about fifty five dollars. So it's okay. it, it's not bad. It's a great uh, if you like peated scotches. Mm-hmm. It's a medium length finish. I could. Um, it's not a short finish. Mm-hmm. I could go for a little bit of a mm-hmm. longer finish. Per you know, like. But um, I think it's really good. Yeah. Uh, I'd say nice. I'd say fifty five dollars is a fair price personally. Yeah. Uh, for those who may be just now listening, we're, we've, we've uh, added a couple of stations recently in Texas. Uh-huh. Uh, Dave, why don't you kind of, this will also bleed into our topic really well. Why, why are we sure. drinking on the show? Okay, so um, we drink on the show for a number of reasons. First, the, the, like the, the best reason is just because God made the things of this earth good, mm-hmm. and they should be enjoyed for their goodness. Um, there's also just something about having a drink, um, smoking a cigar, uh, you know, doing these what you might call stereotypically manly things, there's just something about them that facilitate a good conversation, right. that help you enter into things beyond how the weather is. You know, um, when you start smoking a cigar, like you don't talk about the weather. Like, I don't know why. Unless it's raining and it's tough to start the <laughs> right. cigar. And then you and then you <laughs> just <laughs> like ah, oh. then you start talking about like why are we out here right. smoking this is a bad cigars idea. in the rain? <laughs> yeah. We, we must be fools, right? Um, But that's why we do it. It's just to facilitate good conversation um, and to promote, obviously, the virtue of temperance. Uh, It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do Mm -hmm. it. So, um, And if you're going to have a drink, you should have a a really good drink, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Enjoy it for for its goodness and enjoy the craftsmanship of of a a drink. You know, we're not drinking a $12 bottle of whiskey. We're not going to have Bud Light on the show. Not that we're in, like inherently against Bud Light. If if that is your, if you like, if you say, you know what, I've surveyed the landscape generally of, of beer, and Bud Light is the thing that you know does really does it for me. Great, I think you have terrible taste. <laughs> but go, you know what, right. you you do you, man. Right. You do you. Uh, so anyway, that's why we're drinking, just because we're men, and it is good. 
that we do these things. Father, so you enjoy scotch. I, I do. Uh, and you're you, a little bit of bourbon, bourbon as well? Bourbon also. Yeah, we're... I mean, the Dominicans, we were founded in Kentucky. So right. the American Dominicans, we were founded in Kentucky. And so not very far from where mm-hmm. <laughs> bourbon, bourbon was trail. born. Sure. And so, uh, no, early on, that was... Uh, the drink of choice for American Dominicans, and still is, uh, in, in a way. I do, though, yeah, there are some of us uh, who have uh, expanded, you know, into the realm of scotch. I can't say I, I know a whole lot about it, but appreciate a good scotch like this one. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what what do you guys got going on at the, at the Priory? What do you have going on at the Thomistic yeah. Institute? Why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit to our audience, uh, for those of you who don't, for those of of them who don't know you. Okay, sure. So Father Aquinas Gilbo, as you said earlier, uh, prior of the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C., which is our studium, we call it, or the seminary for the Dominicans of the eastern province of the United States. That's the province of St. Joseph. There are four provinces uh, of Dominican friars in the states, east, central, west, and south. Uh, east, central, and west all have their own seminary, their own studium. Ours in D.C., Central Province, theirs is in St. Louis, West Coast, out in Oakland, in the in the Bay Area. Um, and uh, we're also a pontifical faculty, uh, which means that we grant degrees in theology on mm. behalf of the Holy See, uh, which is to say our graduates, if they get the pontifical degrees, they're, they're church-accredited teachers. Okay. They, they can teach officially, let's say, in other seminaries or other pontifical faculties, uh, and since they have the, the church's seal of approval. Uh, and so nice. half of our student body uh, are our own men in formation, of which we have probably about 55 to 60 men in formation. No right kidding. In our process. Wow, that awesome. sounds, that sounds yeah, great. All together, that includes the novitiate, um, those uh, in simple vows, solemn vows, and those who are ordained deacons. So everyone before priesthood ordination. How long is 55. the formation? It can last, uh, so it's a year of novitiate, three and a half, four years of s- simple vows, after which then would be diaconate and priesthood. So it could take about between, I mean, the average is six or seven years for uh, okay. for, uh, for formation. As a Dominican first, you make solemn vows and then proceed to ordination uh, after. Let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Um, a co-worker of mine, this is like back in the day when I worked in an office. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I work from home still. Uh, but a guy, he, he asked, because I'm kind of known around the office, at least I was, back when we had this thing called an office. Right. As like In the, the Catholic. before times. Right, exactly. The before, the before times. Before times right. <laughs> right. I was kind of the Catholic guy. So right. if anybody had a question about Catholicism, they'd ask me, which I really actually mm-hmm. appreciate and like. But he asked me, what's the difference between a monk and a friar? Right. And I said, I think it's a terminology thing, but I don't really know. And... Right. What is the difference? So, monk Benedictines would be monks. These are men who uh, take a similar vow of obedience under which is understood uh, poverty and chastity. But they also take a vow of stability, which is they belong to one monastery for mm-hmm. for the rest of their lives. Friars was a term that was developed later for uh, the itinerant friars, which is to say those who make similar vows of obedience and poverty and chastity, but they, they move around. They can be they can live in different communities over the course of their life. And so um, that's the a principal distinction between monks and monks and friars. Excellent. Awesome. Alright, so we're here with Father Aquinas from the the Priory of Immaculate Conception, which are gonna talk about temperance on the other side of this break. We'll be right back.
This segment of The Catholic Man Show is brought to you by The Catholic Woodworker. Go to thecatholicwoodworker.com for heirloom quality home altars, crucifixes, and rosaries. It's also the only place where you can get the official rosary of The Catholic Man Show. Type in promo code TCMS for 10% off all purchases. TCMS for The Catholic Man Show. CatholicWoodworker.com. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan and Father Aquinas, just like the coolest name. <laughs> yes, you can thank my novice master for that. Is that who? Uh huh. Okay. He made the decision. Yeah. Did, was that like a? Did you like kind of clinch? Like, right. Or were you like? Uh, well, you, it's like, is there a lot of pressure on you? You're like, oh, I'm Father Aquinas. Well, first, yeah, like it's cool. It's like, oh, but yeah. Then for the rest of my life, yeah. Aquinas. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got big shoes to fill. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big time. Do you think uh, St. Thomas, like, do you think he, you guys are the Dominicans, mm-hmm. but you're known, I mean, St. Dominic was awesome. Right. Like, awesome. Mm-hmm. But more people know who St. Saint Thomas is That's than right. St. Than Dominic. It's like, true. He kind of like overshadowed yeah. his, you know, the order. A it is bit. true. It, it, I think it's part of the... The legacy that St. Dominic has in the church, that it's not his biography, it's not his own hagiography, not his own personal witness or sanctity. His legacy for the church is, is the order. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's and the, the rosary. I mean, that's what, that's I, right. that's what I think of. And so in the order and its works of, of preaching, Marian devotion, but also uh, solid theology, just the intellectual life to uncover and defend the goodness of creation. <laughs> right. Yes. And the superabundant goodness of grace. I mean, that, that's what. Mm-hmm. So he set up an, a way of life that was attractive for men, not only of his age, but of our own. Uh, the goal of the Dominican life uh, is to be yeah, a good preacher, a, f- a faithful son uh, of the church and a faithful preacher. It's not so much to be another St. Dominic. That's not the that's not the goal. I think that's a way in which Dominicans are really distinct from, um, one of the ways in which Dominicans are really distinct from Franciscans. I think for a Franciscan, to be a, become a Franciscan is to, to be St. Francis. I mean, to, to spend your whole life striving to imitate the virtue and the life of St. Francis. Whereas St. Dominic, hmm. when, when he died uh, in 1221, he was basically forgotten. <laughs> you know, hmm. He was buried in, in the church in Bologna, but then the friars just got on with it, you know, got on yeah. with life and, and didn't forget him, but there was no real cult of the founder uh, hmm. in that sense. And so 15 years or so after the, the death of, uh, of St. Dominic, uh, a friend of his who had been a cardinal, uh, who helped him to establish the order, himself becomes pope, is elected pope. And he's the one who goes to the the brethren of, of the day and say, you know, y- you guys should pay a little more attention to, <laughs> to St. Dominic. He was yeah. like my friend. I knew him. He was a holy uh, uh, holy man, and he should be recognized for his holiness. So you, you guys should probably start working on his canonization. <laughs> How about, you know, send me, send me the, some documents. As the pope, the pope, I'm telling I'm, you. I'm, I'm, I'd be happy to do this. And so that's, that's how it got started. So it's not that uh, there's no love for St. Dominic, because there is. Uh, there's no, it's not that there's no appreciate, appreciation for St. Dominic, because there obviously is. But it's... Well, sure. Um, but the, the love of the founder really runs through love of, of the order and, and what it is that he set up, mm-hmm. that we share this common ideal of a way of life 
to dedicate oneself to Christ, uh, but uh, but especially to His Word and the study of His Word and the preaching of His Word, and uh, and that's the gratitude that we we show to Saint Dominic is to yeah to live that life as together as as best we can. So I know we're here to talk today. We're going to talk about temperance, but I just mm-hmm. want to follow up on what you've said. Sure. Um, because is there something about the order uh, and the the order of the order mm-hmm. um, that you think allowed St. Thomas to develop himself the way he did? Like, what if right. he was Benedictine or like right. something else? Because he almost was, yeah, right? That's right. right exactly. That was his family's plan. Well, right, right. That's what I mean. He, I, I don't want to say probably, but he might not have been the saint, been, you know, like uh, himself in the fullness mm-hmm. That he was. So, is there something in your opinion mm-hmm. that allowed him to be that way because of the order? Because he was a right. Dominican, right? There, I think there was. I think uh, early Dominicans uh, discovered him as a kind of talent as a young man down at the University of Naples. Um, he agreed to enter the order. That's when his family tried to kidnap him and <laughs> keep him from going. But but they recognized in him uh, a particular genius early on. Sent him to study under Saint Albert the Great. Uh, and then put him on the fast track in Paris to become a master of theology. Uh, and then once he he attained those those honors and those credentials, then he began to work at the after a series of assignments for the order itself to to organize studies within the order, to organize centers of study for the order. Uh, and in that, uh, he was given time, space uh, to to study, to write, uh, and really to develop uh, the novel approach to 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 study to theology to preaching that 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 he did which is redounded to the the benefit of the whole church so so there, there was something a short answer to your question uh, about the order and its governance and the way assignments work uh um, you know, just the prudence of his own superiors at the time you know sure. allowed oh, for yeah. him to to develop uh this this gift uh for for theology for preaching what I was really thinking, you know, if you're a Benedictine, you just don't have time. There's not a, as much time to study, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're devote, devoted more to the contemplative life mm-hmm. and to prayer. So is there something like a balance between in the, in the Dominican order? You I think, think this was the genius of St. Dominic. That's what he saw, that in his day uh, there was a dearth of preachers and a dearth of preaching. Uh, this had to change, uh, and preaching for cities and people in cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he knew from his own life that the monk is the kind of the perfect prayer. The, the, the monk teaches the Christian how to pray, and that has to be the foundation of, of preaching and study. Uh, and so that was Dominic's instinct, that to form a, a city preacher, you basically had to take the monk out of the country monastery, put him in the city, and take the shovel out of his hand, because <laughs> that's what he was doing <laughs> right, most sure. of the day, and you put a book in his hand. And, uh, and so that's, you have this city monk, this city preacher, uh-huh. um, who dedicates himself, consecrates himself to prayer and to study of the word, but his work is study, uh, learning, teaching, uh, and preaching. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So we're, we're going to talk about temperance, and this kind of actually yeah. dovetails right into what we're going to talk about, the order of, of you, know, you know, when we're talking about temperance, we're talking about governing and ordering our appetites mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for an uh, order that is, uh, brings about peace, that brings about uh, tranquility, that brings about uh, the fullness of man. Mm-hmm. 
when we talk about appetites, maybe we should start with definitions. Sure. Uh, what are what are appetites and what are the types of appetites to, to govern? So appetite is just a word we use for that power in us that, uh, that desires the good. Uh, so that's the movement in us, uh, which is a complement to reason. So intellect is that... Uh, that power by which we bring reality into ourselves mm -hmm. and hold reality uh, in ourselves through the acquisition and possession of truth. Uh, appetite is that power that by which we move out of ourselves into the world to actually grasp that which we know to be true. And because we know it to be true, we also recognize it to be good. And it's under the aspect of good that we desire it and love it uh, and pursue it possess it and enjoy it. Um, now, we have two kinds of appetite in us, the rational appetite, which is the will. That's the appetite that's directly linked to, to intellect. So mm -hmm. we call it the intellectual appetite or the rational appetite. It's the appetite of our intellect. So that which we know to be true, by intellect we, in a sense, desire intellectually by love. Uh, but we also have the sense appetites, which is those power that power in us to desire. These are the passions. These are the emotions that that follow upon not reason directly, but our senses. So once we see or smell or hear or touch something pleasant, mm -hmm. it becomes desirable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> passions right, move sure. in in desire for them, and so we have we sense within ourselves and feel within ourselves two two kinds of appetite: you know, the rational appetite, the will which is by the power by which also we choose, uh, and also the, the sense appetites, the, the passions by which um, yeah, we, in a sense, hunger for uh, the pleasurable good. And they, a lot of times I think people uh, mistakenly think that temperance and moderation are, are, mm -hmm. are, are interchangeable. Uh, and they can be they can it, be synonymous in certain circumstances, right? But Yeah, I mean, but people are in four corner four cardinal virtues which we've talked about on the show many times yeah. uh, the very like the very first thing he talks about is how that is a mistake mm -hmm. um maybe we maybe you can expound on that yeah i would say that uh i'd have to look again closely at what people well i mean the, the mistake he, he wants to avoid uh i would say that i think we can say that um temperance has a uh, a moderating function in, mm -hmm. in life it, right it uh it's work in us to perfect our sense appetites is to uh, moderate their movement, which is to say to make sure they move rightly in accord with reason. Mm -hmm. That the sense appetites, especially that appetite which we call the concupiscible appetite, which is the that's the movement of passion in us that desires the the pleasurable, sensible good. Food, so, sex, exactly, and those are the big ones: the the the, the good of drink, of food, yeah. the good of drink, and the good of of the marital union, sexual pleasure, and so those uh, are. You know the the principal objects of the concupiscible appetite. Temperance enters in to perfect that appetite, to to regulate, to moderate its motion, so that we desire the good of food, the pleasure of food that we desire, the pleasure of drink that we desire, the pleasure of sex, according to right reason, and that we desire it not excessively, but also not defectively. So it, it mm -hmm. could be that you, you don't desire these things enough. <laughs> right, yeah, sure. It, but in most cases, if we have a problem with the concupiscible appetite, it's right, because yeah. it's, it's a little overactive right. <laughs> and needs a little moderation in that sense. That is and certainly that, and my that's, experience. Right? <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that, that's the work of, uh, the work of temperance. I don't, it's been over a year since I've read The Four Cardinal Virtues, but I want to say that he was saying that uh, temperance is more than just moderation. That's right. right. It's that's not right. that they're not there's a lot of overlap but right. that they're not uh 
equivalence. Right. You know yeah, I mean? Moderation is is the act of temperance. Right, and the temperance go it does go beyond moderation because there are some things where yeah, if moderation has a kind of negative aspect to it, that would people are going to say Thomas is going to say that temperance helps us to feel rightly. You know, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. it's not a danger, something to be avoided, but in fact can be enjoyed perfectly. Right. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll pick this up on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Sitting here with Father Aquinas, talking about temperance. Father, I think maybe we start by with maybe concupiscible appetites. Mm-hmm. Focus on that maybe a little bit more, sure, because that's probably what most men are struggling mm-hmm. to uh, govern. Sure. Uh, and so, so let's say what the concup- concupiscible appetites are. Okay, I'll let you, you you probably can do it better than I can. Yeah, so in the sense appetites, we can just make one general distinction between the basically two basic movements uh, that we experience in our passions, the irascible mm-hmm. and the concupiscible. The irascible is that, that contending side of our sense appetites that when we encounter some danger or some roadblock between us and a good that we're, we're striving for, uh, that can you know, produce uh, frustration and anger. Uh, it can produce fear. You know, mm-hmm. if the if the danger is in fact uh, threatening, you know, to us. Um, so let's say so someone insults your wife. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this is a po- no, no this is, it, it, we're not going there. We're Just not going kidding. there. Just kidding. Or the Blessed Mother. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Yes. <laughs> That's another one I was thinking. Have you read The Ball on the Cross? No, I haven't. Oh, no. It's a great book. Short G.K. Chesterton book. This will only take like five seconds. The whole premise is that there's this guy from Scotland who goes to London, and there's this atheist newspaper who's printing like insulting things about Our Lady, and he like breaks the window and jumps through and challenges this guy like to a duel to the death because like no one talks about my le- you know or my right. my mother that way and it's like it's just awesome <laughs> it's, it's so fun i have to pick that up it's like yeah. the easiest chesterton book i think that probably that there is that so. he wrote yeah well thanks for the recommendation yeah the, um, ball, and, the ball and the cross the ball, the ball and the cross. cross yeah so on the irascible side yeah you can uh yeah it's fear Anger. There's also daring. You know that uh, that, and that's all what fortitude. You know the the yeah. cardinal virtue of fortitude moderates, just to make sure that we don't, you know, by excess or defect, uh, fear or get angry or you know, in our daring, uh, fall away from the right pursuit of the of the good that we're seeking, simply because there's some kind of danger roadblock. You know, mm-hmm. there. So that's what fortitude. Uh, its its work is to to moderate in us the the irascible appetite. Then there's also the concupiscible appetite. So the irascible contends with danger or uh, or hindrances to the good. Uh, the concupiscible side is that that uh, those passions that that draw us towards that which is pleasurable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pleasurable goods sensible pleasurable goods are things that just naturally attract us uh and uh and those can be of all the senses sight smell uh taste hearing but especially touch for aquinas he says that the the ones that that we're, we're really that the passion really moves for is the the the, the pleasures of touch and there he puts food mm-hmm. and drink uh there's definitely a, the, a, the big three a higher sense of reality mm-hmm. in the you know when you t- you know if you see something right. Um, it could be an illusion, right. you know. It's hard to be uh, illusioned by things that mm-hmm. you, 
in touch. No, I think today uh, we really put a, 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 kind of a priority on site. Mm-hmm. You know, if you ask somebody what which site would you fear most to lose, probably sense, they yeah. would. They would they were, I'm yeah. sorry, what sense you would most fear to lose, and probably people would probably say site because we're such a visual culture right. mm-hmm. today, especially through mass media. But the ancients and the medievals and most of Western tradition understood that the the, the sense that we rely on most and uh, and uh, and employ most is touch. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's that's where we come in in the sense, as you said, with contact with with reality. That right. confirms for us what the other senses tell us, mm-hmm. uh, and it's also the sense by which we we feel things that are nice <laughs> and pleasurable right, right. and give us joy, and uh, and so. That those passions that that uh, orient us and incline us towards the enjoyment of the pleasure goods can can be excessive or or defective, and it's the work then of of temperance to 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 moderate those such that we desire those goods in a right way, or that, and this is the usual problem with us that when we encounter or sense a pleasurable good, that passion in us for those goods don't stir up in such a way that leads us to the immoderate or irrational pursuit or enjoyment of that good. And so there could be gluttony in terms of food, uh, drunkenness in in terms of drink, or um, of lust in in Mm -hmm. terms of the immoderate, irrational desire for sexual pleasure. So let me ask you this question. This is not not a leading question. Mm -hmm. I really am asking you this. Are the virtues, um, I don't want to say absolute, but um, are, are the virtues truly relative like per person, or mm-hmm. uh, is there like a real virtuous amount that should mm-hmm. be universal, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking of alcoholism. You right. know, somebody obviously the right thing for someone who is an alcoholic is to not drink. Mm-hmm. Um, however, while that might be the best thing for them to do, that is that still a lack of virtue in that they're not able to drink temperately? Or is that temperance itself? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the answer to that question? Complex. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it's a good question, and it's one that we do have to wrestle with, uh, just in terms of coming to greater clarity as to what the virtue does and what we should expect the virtue uh, to do for us. So, in answer to your first question, it, it's yes and no. Is there, are there objective standards of mm-hmm. the of the virtue, let's say, of temperance? Yes, insofar as... For everyone, temperance is going to moderate the sense appetites. Yeah. They're going to help us achieve the mean between excess and defect. So that's going to be the same for everyone. What isn't the same for everyone is what the mean is between excess and defect. Mm-hmm. So for a five-year-old girl, you know, the measure of food that's rational exactly. for her to eat different. is going to be different than a 35-year-old man. Now, I don't know if you met Adam's dad. I did. did. Yeah, he did. Okay, so obviously he's going to eat more than a five-year-old girl. (laughs) That's right. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. By a lot. He can eat the five-year-old girl. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, each is perfected by temperance, but that's going to look different, you know, for each of those two people. Uh, Same thing with drink. You know, some Mm -hmm. people have uh, just a greater tolerance. Uh, uh, I've got, uh, you know, uh, friars in my house of of Korean descent, and because of of something particular about Asian genetics, they, they just don't. Uh, process alcohol in the same way as mm-hmm. as we do, and so he just can't. 
you know, uh, just gets physically ill, you know, if oh uh, really, if, if that if is a bummer, drinks alcohol, and so, uh, so what's rational for him, what's temperate for him, is no alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, simply because he can't, he mm-hmm. can't have it. Right. Uh, uh, it'd be imprudent and irrational for him uh, to uh, <laughs> to choose, in fact, to to drink it. I think you can deal with with addiction in the same way. I think it would fall under the the similar category that. If for some kind of physical or psychological challenge, um, the, the presence of alcohol in one's system uh, causes one uh, effects that aren't natural, let's say, to, to alcohol itself, well, then the prudent thing would be you know, to avoid it, just to avoid whatever illness certainly, or, certainly. or bad mm-hmm. effects would, would come from it. Uh, and temperance would there be there as, as the virtue to, to regulate the, the passion so that when presented with alcohol, one doesn't uh, experience in themselves immoderate desire you know, for it because their desire is, is shaped by reality. Like this is in itself good, but bad for me. And therefore... Right, I don't desire it. Right, you know, and that—that's the sign of uh, of temperance. Temperance. That's why I don't drink milk. There you go. Personally, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's bad for me. I'll right. tell you, yeah. it's bad for everyone. Yeah, and don't have a, probably a desire for it when you see it. No. Yeah. So does that mean? Like, is that a good sense? Like, whenever you know, when you feel like that, you're you've kind of governed your senses of of that appetite. When you don't even entertain that idea, you've just mentally already said, like, nope. This right. is not good for me. Right. So, like when Venerable Matt Talbot, he realized he couldn't drink. He didn't ever walk by the bar anymore because he just realized, nope, that's not an option for me. Right. Um, I'm not even going to entertain that idea. Right. And there are ways to do that. So, I mean, that St. Thomas is is uh, keen here to make a distinction between, let's say, continence and the virtue. So, continence is the it's like an imitation of the virtue. It's it's getting us towards the virtue. It's the one who recognizes that this is bad for me, uh, but when I see it, boy, I still want it. Right. You know, uh, and I want it a lot. Like, yeah, like dark chocolate. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. And because it's bad for me, I know it's bad for me. So an act of the will keeps me from from, uh, from indulging, uh, but you know, the, the appetites, the passions are still stirring. That's a sign that we don't quite have the, the virtue yet. But by an act of continence, I can, you know, refrain from enjoying that good. Uh, and that keeps me in the realm of right reason. You know, I'm still acting rightly and prudently, even though I don't feel yet in myself that, uh, that the, <laughs> the virtuous thing is, is, in fact, what my, my passions want. Do yeah. you think temperance is the most difficult of all the virtues, I think we find it to be the most tem- the most difficult because uh, because it affects in us. I mean, real sensation, <laughs> right? You mm-hmm. know, and because those sensations are so present to us, so the sensation of like say hunger, the pleasure of food, uh, thirst, and the the pleasure of drink, um, you know, the desire for for love uh, and the marital union. Uh, obviously, Aquinas you know says is the most intense of of, of the physical pleasures. Um, the work then. Uh, to to regulate and to moderate and to to make the the movements of those passions rational and even our des- enjoyment of those pleasures rational, uh, yeah we find that taxing you know uh, we don't find working for justice as uh, physically demanding <laughs> right right as like growing in 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 abstinence or uh, or or chastity right yeah because uh, like with um, oh. What's the one where you're like you're like putting yourself in bodily harm? The virtue, fortitude. fortitude. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yes. Yeah. Um, like I understand that. Like 
putting myself at the point of the sword, that's not a good for me. It's not right, good right. for me. I'll do it if I have to, right? right? You know? Yeah, yeah. But so I have no like disordered desire. Like, let's do that again. Right. Like, that was cool, right? Yeah, your like, daring is not nope. out of proportion. Right. Yeah. But, you know, like when, when you're encountering a bowl of M&Ms, is it seven or eight right. M&Ms? Or 20. Times five. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> or is it 21? You know, right. well, if you had 21, why not 22? Well, we get into these kinds of debates, internal yeah. debates with ourselves. That's the that, indication, right? And that, that we're not, yeah, we've not acquired the virtue yet. Yeah. Oh, I definitely haven't. Yeah. <laughs> no way. <laughs> we'll be right back. Do you feel like God is calling you to go on a pilgrimage? Well, for the last 34 years, Select International Tours has been leading pilgrimages to holy sites all over the world. And you want when you go on pilgrimages, Dave, you want to make sure you have the great the best hotels, you're touring with the best guides, and every detail has been addressed. And that's exactly what you're getting with Select International Tours. So, for more information, go to their brand new website, selectinternationaltours.com. They have been a sponsor of the Catholic Man Show for a long time now. Even during the COVID pandemic, they were still sponsoring our show. A lot of other tour companies were really shutting down. These guys were consistent. So go to selectinternationaltours.com to find out more information about all the great pilgrimages they offer all over the world. Welcome back to The Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles. Here with Adam and Hannah and the Father Aquinas. The. Not A, but the. The Father Aquinas. Is there another one? There are. No. Are you serious, Clark? <laughs> There's one in my in my province, actually. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Father Aquinas Beale, who's uh, currently at uh, one of the campus ministers at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. Do you guys have like rock paper scissors contests or like to see? Well, he's like, the prior. That's right. So, like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I guess that's the community it, yeah. took care of that for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just elected me prior, and that's it. Yeah. Really funny thing that happened in this room not too long ago. Adam and Juan were going to have a rock paper scissors contest. I don't even remember what it was about, but Juan, right before they did it, he goes, "I'll just let you know, I always throw a rock." <laughs> and Adam looked at him like. You could tell it's just like a total mind job on Adam. He's like, are you serious? Or are like, yeah, you yeah. playing me? Cl- what, like, what do I do now? Are you about to throw scissors? Because you know I'm going to throw paper? Is that what? It's like, you know what? He threw rock. It was like so funny. The whole thing. It was the best. It's an honest man. Right. It's like, I was just sitting there as a spectator going like, this is incredible. I always. This is the quality stuff that happens right. here, Father. I always throw rock. <laughs> okay. Temperance. 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 We're talking about temperance. So, okay, so we, we kind of touched on cuspel. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll brush on the irascible and then mm-hmm. talk about how to develop, how to continue sure. to develop it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so irascible appetite, go. Yeah, so those, again, are, you know, whenever we've got some uh, some difficulty in, we encounter some difficulty when uh, in pursuing the, the good that we have set out to uh, to attain, if it's threatening to us, such that the the continued pursuit of the good might cause us harm. Mm-hmm. The response is fear, you know, uh, or if it's just something that is, um, you know, aggravating, slowing us down, uh, delays our our uh, our uh, our enjoyment of that good. That can be anger, you know. It and can be sorrow. B- oh, sorry, I didn't you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and so those are you know other kinds of reactions. It could also spark in us daring, you know, that uh, that uh, instead of 
being patient and enduring, we we attack. Uh, is daring and, a negative in this no, sense? No, no, it's it's positive because okay. I mean, it, after we um, because I could see it in either way. After we of. evaluate the situation, it could be prudent, you know, that we in fact uh, attack it. But Aquinas right. says that in fact the the the, the larger part of uh, of fortitude is actually enduring our fear. Yes, uh, yeah. So that we don't, because of that fear. Uh, fall away from the just pursuit of the good. Mm-hmm. And here for him, the icon of, of the, the courageous person is the soldier, you know, who on the battlefield, because of the, the nobility of the objective, uh, endures the fear of putting his life at risk in order you know, for, the, for the objective to be, right. to be won. Um, and so that's why we, we hail the, the soldier and the courage of the soldier uh, in itself, but also see that as the, the real model and example yeah. of what fortitude is. That's what Don Quixote says. It's better to err on the side of recklessness than cowardice. Yeah. I mean, if you've got to err on one side. Right. I mean, because at least, yeah, that, that there's still action towards the end. Yeah. yeah. That, that you're not shrinking away irrationally, but... Um, yeah, attacking obviously, it irrationally. Obviously, don't err on either side. Right, but, right. You know, but, but if you had to, right. yeah. But no, you I can see, see that. You can see I can see the, what he means by that. Sure. And you can see the bridge that happens, how, how these both can be attacked, right? When you get angry, sometimes that falls into lust or uh, fear. Right. You Sometimes you uh, eat too much to, right. to, to point of gluttony. Like they, they can kind of bleed into one another. Sure. And you also find in the opposite... Uh, the remedy. So for, uh, you know, sorrow that may come from uh, disappointment or frustration, uh, the proper enjoyment of food or drink could be, you know, a remedy for mm-hmm. that. Uh, or for anger, you know, the, the meekness that, that's proper to, to temperance, you know, could, could be, uh, you know, a remedy uh, just to make sure that we're angry in the right kind of way. Mm-hmm. Or um, the humility that, that's proper to, to temperance can also uh, shape... Uh, our, our desire to, or temper our desire to, to do great uh, and noble things. That we do them not simply to be recognized or, uh, you know, become famous by, by what we do, but we, we pursue it because of the nobility of the act itself, because the good should be itself achieved. Uh, and that I, I, I pursue that, especially if I'm capable of, of attaining great goods, that I do that with, with humility. So, Father, um, you know, one of the greatest pursuits in life is that of Mm -hmm. self-mastery. Temperance is a huge, fundamental fundamental part of this. You know, Mm -hmm. the four cardinal virtues, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I don't think that I'm different from most people in this this regard, that I find it much easier to either fast, you Mm -hmm. know, absolute, you know, just abstain, Mm -hmm. than, you know, I cannot eat three M&Ms. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) I just can't do it. Um... And I know that if I were perfectly virtuous, I my appetites, I would not desire that which was more than I should. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that I would be able to satisfy 100% of my desires, and it would be just right. Um, my desires are not there, right? And so how is how can I... How do I get there? You know what I mean. Like I, I know that it's a ver- it's a habit. I need mm-hmm. to like somehow practice it. But even right. in saying, I'm going to limit myself to five M and M's. That I understand is a that's probably part of it. But I'm still in that sense not. Does I? You still I still desire it. more. Yeah, it's almost you know easier. I mean? But that's okay. No, I'm not going to do any of okay, it. Okay, so that's okay. Well, I mean, because it's not going to happen immediately or or or. or uh, you know, immediately overnight. Um, so on the one hand, 
um, I think it's to recognize, first of all, that uh, if we indulge the immoderate movement of passion, we're only going to get more of the immoderate movement of passion. Okay. <laughs> you know, that makes sense. In any, in any realm. Yeah. So if you can't eat uh, only five M&Ms, but it's always going to be 55 right. <laughs> M&Ms. Well, there's typically uh, so not that many. Every, so time, <laughs> every time you eat 55 M&Ms, you're going to continue to want 55 M&Ms. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, you get smart about it. You, you come up with a plan, you attack it you know, mm-hmm. uh, in, in a rational kind of way. So um, what is it like then to only have five M&Ms? So you see, you have five and you stop, walk away from something else. Do I eat them else. in one bite <laughs> or five separate one M&M bites? I would say separate, yeah. Okay. I would, I would start Prolong there. Prolong it. Right. Okay, yeah, make it, string it out. And then okay. stop. Okay. And then there's going to be a kind of delight there. I mean, from, you've had the chocolate, but then... Uh, because you had a moderate amount, mm-hmm. a rational amount. Maybe it's six, also gonna, maybe six maybe would six. be a, a more prudent number. <laughs> Seven is a perfect number. Well, this is where you're going to start getting yourself You see trouble. what I'm doing? Yeah, and it's, yeah. See, it's this is it. No, right you, you, you set a plan and you stick to it. And over time, there'll be an experience of the delight of having a rational, reasonable, prudent amount of, of yeah. the pleasure. Uh, and you'll begin to delight in that more than just gorging yourself absolutely satisfying the base and base i should say basic just sense pleasure for um the satisfaction of of the sweetness of the the candy but also and aquinas says this it's it's the feeling it's the the sense of touch in the stomach because it's full and more than Hmm. full uh we have to get to a point where we experience the, the delight and pleasure of, of the moderate amount, and we have to like that more than the, the feeling of being gorged. Hmm. And however we get there, you know, uh, that, that's the first step. Right. Uh, and then uh, over time, yeah, you'll, uh, you'll become more and more satisfied by the delight of the moderate amount and more and more, in a sense, disgusted by the the feeling even the idea of the of the immoderate amount so that so that's the i think that's uh, important to know about what what the temperate movement of the passion is it's it's not for aquinas uh the the cessation of passion or the quashing of passion Mm -hmm. uh the absence of passion no it's it's the right movement of that passion towards the right kind of satisfaction of the passion so the 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 temperate man is the one who prefers yeah the fine meal to um yeah the quick thing from burger king or or, yeah. or mcdonald's sometimes that's necessary but you prefer you know nutritious well prepared and well well set kind of food it's it's the one who as you were joking at the beginning of the show it's the one who prefers torbeg to bud light Right, you know, right. yeah, yeah, uh, and also in the in the in the realm of, of of sexual pleasure, it's it's the it's the husband who takes absolute delight in his wife, uh, and enjoys her company, uh, especially in intimate moments, and right. is in, in fact in all kinds of ways, in all kinds right, of yeah. ways, and then is in fact repulsed by even the idea of enjoying that pleasure with anyone else, right, um, or outside of her, in general. yeah, exactly, yeah, and and so that's uh, that's a sign that you've you know. That's what temperance looks like. It's yeah. the, it's the man who who enjoys all of these goods and all of these pleasurable goods, uh, according to right reason, which is say according to also to his circumstances, state of life, age, 
marital status, you know, yeah. uh, you know, uh, all, all of those things go into helping to determine what is, is prudent and rational. One of the him. things that I've been reflecting on, or it certainly was at the very beginning of Easter, I was kind of looking back on my Lent. Um, I just, what I did, I, last year I did Exodus 90. This year I kind of adopted the practices of Exodus 90 during mm-hmm. Lent. And what I decided is that for next year, instead of abstaining from, from these things, I'm going to do exactly kind of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a social setting, I will have one beer. Right. I will not abstain from beer. Mm-hmm. I will not abstain. I will have one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that if you're at a birthday party, like, for four hours, right. it's hard to have one beer. Right. Do you have it right away? Do you wait? Like, right. w- put it off an hour? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but, like, to do that instead of... Because I don't have an addiction. I'm not addicted mm-hmm. to chocolate. I'm not addicted to these things, right? And so I don't actually need to... Abst- mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Right. I think that's what I'm going to do next year. It should be harder. I think it will be harder. Yeah, because I, I would rather just not have any exactly. than have just a little. It's right. Right. zero or gluttony. Like, those are the easy I ends of the spectrum. I have lots of thoughts on that, especially how it, how it appear, uh, applies to Lent. But uh, well, okay. we might have to save that for another show. Well... After this, how about that for we're done with the radio <laughs> section. The podcast will continue right after this. If you have a few minutes sure. to share your thoughts with us, so uh, if you want to hear Father Aquinas's thoughts, go to thecatholicmanshow.com, Download our podcast. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass and cheers to Jesus. Cheers. This is perfect. This is perfect. I'll cheers you one. Oh, <laughs> you want some more? Oh, you'd like a little bit more. Mas por favor. Yeah, I mean, you'd yeah. have to almost do that, but. But you'd also have to be giving, I mean, it's, well. Yeah, you, just like a, a warm-up, as they say in the co- in, co- in coffee world. That's fine. Yeah, that, that's plenty. Thank you. I spelled a drop. Two it's drops. Okay. That's alcohol abuse. So what, so, so what were your thoughts on that? <laughs> so I do think that there's something that uh, people approach Lent, I think, by and large, I mean, with the best of intentions. So this isn't yeah. to, uh, uh, to fuss at or... Um, yeah, to, to denigrate anyone, especially in their Lenten practices. But I, I think it there is something that uh, the way people approach Lent as a kind of feat of strength. that um, And it doesn't have any real value outside of proving either to themselves or to others or maybe to God, you know, just how strong they are. Like, mm. I love you enough, you know, not to have this pleasure for 40 days. And the, the concentration is so put on not failing in the penance such that if you fail in the penance, like Lent is is busted. Great, you know, you know. you're yeah. done. You're, All right, yeah, yeah. Whatever. And so, like the idea that you would, like Sundays aren't included in kind of what your Lenten penance like is is anathema to them because, um, well, that that's breaking your penance. You mm-hmm. know, um, I'm glad you said that because I was like, but it's never. Oh, I I don't do it on Sundays. So. Right, that's right. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, it was never. I mean, that's why Lent is longer than technically forty days because the Sundays were never counted right. or included. Right. Uh, now, it doesn't mean you go hog wild, you know, yeah. on on Sunday. But it's it was recognized that uh, it's the Lord's day still, and it's it's not a day of it's Easter of of uh, of, of. I mean, maybe your Sundays fasting. look different right. in Lent than they do in Easter. Exactly. You know, but whatever. But. Um, but I think the pressure that people put on themselves about not failing in their penance is is an indication that um, there's a misunderstanding of what what this is for, you know, uh, in terms of denying ourselves certain pleasures to to grow, to open up the the soul and the spirit to to prepare itself to celebrate, you know, Easter, you know, well, uh, 
And so I think this kind of approach to penance where, yeah, it could be seen as, as a moment where I try to grow in, in temperance. And the way to do that is, is not simple, abs, complete abstinence, but, but teaching ourselves um, to, to enjoy the, these pleasures in a more moderate, temperate kind of way. Yeah. And it also avoids the ostentation of, uh, that, that many people <laughs> experience in Lent, like to go to a party and say, "Well, yeah, I'm not gonna, I can't, you know, have all that." Well, what is right? Is the that holier than thou? That, that just look, shows look at that me, yeah, look, at, look at what I, I can I'm, do. Yeah, I'm fasting, and therefore, right. you know, especially if you're the guest and someone has offered you this in charity, and right. you say no because, uh, well, that's especially if they made dinner because you were coming over, or they right. made dessert because you were coming over, right? right. And just like, say, oh, "I'm yeah. sorry, I can't." That I happens can't all the time that. on Fridays, right? You go to right. a, a, a non-Catholic friend's house and. Uh, you get there and you can just smell brisket on, you know, and you're like, oh no, you right. know. Right. But yeah. it's not That's easily avoidable though by simply telling them like some ahead of time. Yeah, ahead like just time. so you know, like I don't eat meat on Fridays. I'm Catholic, and it, it right. actually opens up a great conversation, right? right? Uh, but if if it's the last minute, you know, right. like it's happened to me several times. The, like, right. I'm just gonna and do the it. The church in her wisdom gives you other options. Other options, you know? yeah. And it's like I'll just do something else. Yeah. And it's not because I want to. And maybe meat, for a lot of people, eating the meat is the sacrifice like <laughs> right. like they're freaking out about it you know what kind I mean? of mortification yeah of that can correct a, a kind of improper sense of what right the the Lenten practices are for yeah i don't want to like over uh kind of emphasize the or overstress uh the yeah the, the the error here or give it more or, or down, than it has. downplay right the penance uh, right yeah. that's right but it's like uh yeah there is a I think there's a lot to learn from the church's fasting laws as they exist now, especially looking at uh, not the exceptions, but uh, the the mercy and the charity that the church employs in in directing the life of penance. Uh, it can seem overly indulgent, especially if you compare it to other traditions or even earlier practices. Uh, but uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom in terms of building up uh, virtue that, mm-hmm. that that informs the the church's practice now that. Yeah, we can tend not to appreciate if we only see these practices again as, as kind of feats of strength. Right. Well, you know, uh, Father, we live in a time of plenty. Mm-hmm. We live in a world of easiness. Uh, men are made. We're made for difficult, arduous things. That's why right. we're strong. Mm-hmm. That's why you know uh, there is nothing hard in the life of an American. Mm-hmm. You know, you wake up in your, on your memory foam bed. Right. You know, in just like absolute comfort, uh, you get out and you're climate controlled, you take a hot shower, you mm-hmm. put on your luxurious, cl- you know, like cotton clothes have never been as awesome as they right, are right. today. I, I don't know if you know right. that because you wear this like just lovely habit, but a wool uh, blend, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like the undershirts that they have today, nothing like they right. were like when I was born, right? Uh, and so, like, you get in your car. You Which go drive also to your climate office. control, right. right? Exactly. It's like the, I don't think that like a hundred years ago, men were excited to mow their yard. I get excited right, to right. mow. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I get to do like this. Is a, I'm going to be a man today, you know? Like I didn't, I haven't been a man the other days of the right, week, right. you know. So uh, I think the same kind of thing applies to Lent. That mm-hmm. oh, finally, right? I get to do something that I was made for. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to do something hard. It's a, kind of a sign of the time. Mm-hmm. And I just know that in my own life, my desires, my appetites, they're not formed. Mm-hmm. I have disordered appetites. I know that about myself. Mm-hmm. So I need rules. So I think that if, if my appetites were formed, I could use Lent as a time 
where I would actually go against, you know, like what my appetites were. But instead, mm-hmm. I have to use Lent as a time to try to form them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this is a, right. a good a good time for me to like set extra rules for myself. And when I when I approach Lent, I try to do it in such a way that when I'm done with Lent, I'm actually going to have a habit that I mm-hmm. walk away with, right. right? No, I think that's a much better approach to Lent than... Uh, and I, I, That should be part of one's goal uh, when entering Lent is to choose a, a kind of penance, as, as you said, that, that one can take with yeah you can take with you uh take with you after you know lent is is over you carry over you mm-hmm. know into the to the rest of the year at the same time i would want to say that um yeah lent is not like the catholic new year which is to say that this is when we kind of work on our resolutions right. for self improvement sure. um or it shouldn't only be that i mean that right. could be a, an element of it but it really is i mean it's it's the period for the believer who should already be seeking all year long growth and virtue and living the life of grace mm-hmm. uh, but that's intensified uh in the weeks of lent in order to prepare for the the celebration of of easter there's something we read in the office of readings in the very first week of lent i forget who uh it, it it's uh by but just making this point Let, let's not forget that uh, uh the whole of life is a life of penance mm-hmm. <laughs> it should be you know the whole sure. of life is uh a life of, of growth and virtue uh, deepening one's prayer, deepening one's cooperation with grace. Uh, and that's intensified in Lent because of the intensity of the church's celebrations of yeah, Easter. Sure. Because of those, because it's it's the Sunday of Sundays. Uh, you know, we have the preparation mm-hmm. of preparations, mm-hmm. you know, in, yeah. in that time. So um, that's the other reason I don't like the, the kind of feat of strength idea about Lent because it, it says that, well, it's only during these weeks that I, I do this the rest of the year. You know, I'm soft. It's a, it's a free for yeah. all. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it was Exodus 90 that really taught me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, which uh, I did Exodus 92 years ago, and now I've continued. I fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Mm-hmm. You know, like it taught me. I've said this so many times in this podcast. Exodus 90 changed my life mm-hmm. big time. Um, and I think that. If my appetites were formed and I desired the right things, mm-hmm. my Lent would be so much different. Mm-hmm. You know, but I know that it's they're just not. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to form them. I don't know. I, right. I, I don't know that I'll ever, I'll probably die with unformed <laughs> appetites, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Not that it's not possible for the Lord to right. like. But it gets uh, easier, right. right? As you continue, it, it's the, the initial going through the trenches of uh, yeah. uh, forming the appetites that it, that's the heart as mm-hmm. you continue to see the true the good the beautiful of the virtuous life it becomes easier to live that virtuous to strive for yeah. that so let me ask you this father mm-hmm. for someone just like hypothetically you have a, a man who um he's not new to the catholic faith you know he knows the faith but he you know struggles to he, he he wants to he wants to be holy. He's pursuing holiness. Mm-hmm. He's pursuing Christ. What is a good Lent? And I just I'm right. talking about a, a man in general. So mm-hmm. you know it's difficult for you to answer. I understand. Right, right, that. right. What's your What's your answer? I think it's following just the the church's council. It's again what she what we read on on Ash Wednesday <laughs> in uh, 
in in the gospel, the gospel that's put before us. It's some kind of some combination of of three things: prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Mm. So the prayer gives it obviously its spiritual orientation. Uh, one meditates on, on the Word of God and converses with God, uh, deepens one's faith by making acts of faith. Uh, hopefully, in a newer and deeper way. Uh, one enters more into the communion of truth with God, uh, which is the foundation. As, as Aquinas says, that's the beginning of eternal life in us. And so that it, you have to begin there. Um, so deepening faith uh, and uh, undertaking the prayer that, that strengthens faith. The fasting is there, in fact, to support the prayer. <laughs> you know, because the, the more that oh, we okay. are... Uh, the more that we, in a sense, deny ourselves and empty ourselves, that's the whole of the, especially the desert tradition, is that it's the emptying ourselves of, of the earthly pleasures that we attune the soul to enjoy and delight in more spiritual pleasures. Uh, so, so the fasting creates the room in life for, uh, for, for prayer. So not only are we eating less, spending less time eating uh, by denying ourselves those, those pleasures, we we, in a sense, sharpen our, our spiritual senses because um, we're not so, in a sense, inebriated by physical pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, we can, uh, you know, rely more or become more sensitive to, to spiritual pleasures. Mm-hmm. And then the almsgiving is uh, how just uh, because maybe there's a way in which we can come, become overly self-centered in our prayer and in our fasting. Uh, almsgiving helps us to, to recognize that we're con- we continue to be social creatures. Uh, that charity remains the, the the greatest of the theological virtues, uh, and that whatever benefits we receive from our prayer and our fasting, uh, the fruits of that need to be shared with others. Yeah, um, there's also a sense of security, you know, that you have in oh, I have a savings account. When you start right giving it away, right, you know, like you start to you're no, you're no longer relying right. on yourself, but right. you, you it's right. it, it, of- it is very it's like a very obvious like oh. Who is it that is? Where do I get my security from? It's not because I have a bank account, right? right? It's, and it loosens our grip, our, our kind of greedy grip on, yeah, yeah the the possessions that we, we might yeah. rightfully acquire and rightfully enjoy, sure. But um, but there can be an attachment to them that robs us of uh, greater expressions of charity. Almsgiving is uh, definitely my weakness in Lent. I just I give the same amount. Mm-hmm. I, in Lent, as I do. Uh, yeah. Well, you should try to be a little holier. Have you tried that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> command, command me, <laughs> my friend. Well, this, I think, is where Aquinas can be helpful, too, because the way he talks about uh, almsgiving is not just about giving money to the poor. Okay. For him, uh, almsgiving is is the the general category which encompasses every act of mercy. Oh. Uh, so for him, the the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, all of them fall under under almsgiving. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. And so I think that's a healthier way to, to see that it is not just about giving money to the poor, but performing the 14 acts <laughs> that are recommended by Scripture huh. uh, in terms of, uh, and they're both corporal, which is to say physical, uh, but also spiritual. Uh, you know, they have their origin in the soul and their benefit in the, in, in the soul and and really, the the point of of almsgiving is is to make us more merciful, hmm. and in that, recognizing more and more how we are the the recipients and beneficiaries of the Lord's mercy, um, and the only response we have to that uh, is is to show mercy ourselves. Uh, 
And that's almsgiving. That's beautiful. The last thing I want to say is just a comment on a point you made just a minute ago. I have noticed in my in my own prayer life, the days, like, I, t- I pray in the morning. It's the first, you know, mm-hmm. when I get up, um, I, I just, I, I pray for about 30 minutes. The days where I have fasted, the, I should say the mornings, where mm-hmm. I fasted the day before, I tend to find I have a, a more... And uh, you know, I, I don't want to judge my prayer life based on the way I feel mm-hmm. about my prayer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I tend to feel more intimate. Mm-hmm. The days where, like, oh wow, uh, we had like a birthday party yesterday right. and ate like two pieces <laughs> of cake. Right. You know, I don't. I there's just a, like a I don't feel the same. Mm-hmm. And you know, part of that I, I realize is that we're body soul composites, mm-hmm. and my body is an instrument, mm-hmm. and my I experience the Lord through my body. Mm-hmm. I cannot experience right. him apart from it. Right. Uh and so if I have while you're alive, well, at least. Well, yeah, and you know, like right now, that's where right. I'm at. You know, so yeah, yeah. if I have if I'm not as sharp, my the instrument of my body or what I don't know the best way to say it, but you know, it, it, it interferes. Right. I think the Desert Fathers knew this. They're, they're the great teachers of this, that uh, when, when the senses and the desires of the senses are constantly satisfied by pleasure, mm-hmm. uh, that, that dulls our spiritual senses. That's right. I just don't because, feel as sharp. I'm because dull. life becomes simply the pursuit of the next sensual pleasure. Yeah. You know, the next physical pleasure. Uh, and you're not concentrating at all uh, on the uh, on the higher goods, higher pleasures, spiritual pleasures, and in fact, don't even have the energy for it because yeah, um, yeah we become slothful. You know, it's, uh, we're, it's a we're disorder. Dragged down. You can, and I can feel it because it's not just when I eat too much or when I drink too much. When I don't get enough sleep, right? Uh, if I'm tired, I, mm-hmm. I kind of have that same. There's like some a barrier that is in the way, and it, it's. I think it just flows from a lack of order. Right. You know, I should have gone to bed on time. I should have. Um, I I, pri- right. I was. It comes down to me prioritizing lesser goods over higher goods. I think know? health experts, scientists, others who study nutrition and other things are rediscovering. I think uh, an earlier wisdom. Uh, I mean, the whole interest in intermittent fasting. I think it's uh-huh. just simply rediscovery of how it is that people, for centuries, yeah. in fact, ate. Saint Anthony is still <laughs> in the desert, going like. I told you guys. I've been here forever. (laughs) (laughs) But recognizing that there are not only spiritual benefits to that, but also physical benefits, that we're not built, like, yeah, to have the stomach full. We're not supposed to feast every time. (laughs) And so I find that interesting, actually, because I think it confirms something that the wisdom that has. you know, been carried on through in the spiritual tr- tradition yeah. uh, of the church, which is a reflection of an, an earlier, just practical wisdom as to to how to live. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that I think there's something to that, uh, and that there's something even physically beneficial about the kind of extended experience of of hunger, not to the point of uh, harming oneself or emaciation sure. <laughs> or yeah, things sure, like yeah, that, right. but uh, but that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Even sleep patterns, uh, also. Just the way um, that what we're rediscovering about about, especially the medieval patterns of sleep, maybe more natural than than what it is that that we do now. What did they do? 
they got up in the middle of the night. Uh, mm. Yeah, they they had like two cycles of sleep, but but they weren't, which we do too. Uh, Kramer did this for a while right. in an episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. Like, yeah, he turned out it not it didn't, didn't turn out well. It didn't work out for Kramer, but also Kramer wasn't a real person. Right, right. <laughs> but it seems that uh, people went to bed at sundown. Okay. Uh, and uh, and got it's up because they, like, they didn't have electricity exactly. either. <laughs> so I mean, what are you going to do? It's time, you know. There's no more light. Well, you can I can't burn see. Candles. So I'm you only <laughs> burn candles for so long, right? Yeah. And uh, we have one candle. <laughs> what are we going to do? You know. And you went through one, maybe four hour cycle of sleep, and and you woke up, and people kind of piddled around uh, in the middle of the know, night. In the middle of the night, and this is why I, I think the midnight office of monastics make a lot more sense. Uh, not to say that's there's no that's not a penitential quality to it, because that was the longest office uh, of the day. It was, uh, yeah. That would be in there for a long time. Uh, uh, but then when you the, gotta have that memorized too, because you have to like because yeah. you're in the dark <laughs> yeah. with your one candle. Uh, but then you went back to sleep after an hour or two. Went back to bed and back to sleep and slept another cycle. Was uh, it one hour or two? Because that is a big difference. Well, I think it was three or four. I mean, I think people still probably got seven to eight hours of sleep or even more. But there was a there was a pause in between, oh. and uh, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I could do that one time. Right. Like more now, than that for would us, get, it would get I, it would be so annoying. You right. know what I mean? But I think that was just their their natural rhythm. Whereas for us, uh, I mean, if, I think if you start going to bed at seven o'clock, <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, you're gonna right. wake up at midnight, right. yeah, uh, and then you'll be tired again at two, and you'll sleep till six, uh-huh. you know. Uh, and uh, so they didn't have a nap; they didn't have the siesta. Pro- well, that's a good question. Uh, they probably still did, I, only because it's probably in those areas where the siesta developed. It was just so hot in the middle of the day, and, oh, and you brother, also had your main meal in the middle of the day. I was just contemplating, brother. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so, do you guys call each other brother or friar? What do you call uh, each other? By our first names. Okay, but to, yeah, in a more formal setting, father or brother. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Just curious. We're all friars, friars. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Any, any of the, the I'm. I can yeah. keep asking questions, but I'm gonna yeah. in temper. I'm gonna temperate. I'm gonna. T- what is? What's the word? It's the present tense word for temperance like i'm going to temper you're, temperate myself you're a t- uh, temper temper there you go <laughs> That's, i'm gonna temper myself thank you the words, temperate person tempers himself words are hard <laughs> that is our motto and our, and that's our one of that's is, one of our things is like we just it's beyond are. math is hard words yeah. are yeah. hard words are hard <laughs> have you ever like studied that. latin <laughs> i do have a quick question oh juan has a question yes here we go other than saint thomas aquinas who do you recommend reading for? No one. Matters of Next question. Oh, you weren't asking me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Father. For, for matters of temperance, who, which saint do you think has good words of wisdom? Oh, gosh. Um, go to St. Thomas's teacher, uh, St. John Cashin, you know, who was 5th uh, century. Somebody can correct me if that's wrong. Uh, so he was a Westerner uh, who went to the Middle East and to northern Egypt and lived with the desert monks for a long time, acquired their wisdom, uh, and then went back to to Europe, uh, founded monasteries there, uh, and uh, and wrote later in life uh, all of his experiences and all the wisdom he picked up, you know, speaking to 
to these the desert fathers and desert monks. He's moderating a bit because he's writing for a different audience, a different people who live in a different climate with different temperament, different expectations. So it's 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 the the desert tradition already translated for weaker <laughs> Europeans, <laughs> our ancestors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very interesting. I mean, uh, St. Dominic read Cashin every day, Aquinas read Cashin every day. Uh, and I, I think that's what you find there is the, the soul of, of Dominican spirituality. I am so uh, unfamiliar with him. Yeah, yeah. I and uh, just I've in terms only of, heard of him. I, I find him enriching for two reasons. One, uh, he has an insight into human psychology that is phenomenal, um, especially for that age. But I think a lot of people... They they paid attention to what happens <laughs> interiorly, uh, and uh, and came into came uh, developed profound insights into yeah our own psychology, uh, but then develops lots of practical suggestions on how to you know because this is the problem and and puts his finger right on it this is this is how you deal with it, uh, and so his two works the institutes is a shorter one the conferences are much longer. Uh, but in both works, you'll find uh, just a master at diagnosing our spiritual ills and uh, and, and, and suggesting the, the remedy. And that's, if you are familiar with St. Thomas and read St. Thomas a lot, and you're also familiar with Cash, and you read St. Thomas and say, okay, well, this is... <laughs> you can identify those those that elements that, that he's, he's pulling from Cash. Yes. Yeah. Great you, question, Juan. Yeah. Uh, I, I had no idea. Father, we can maybe end with your blessing. How does that sound? Sure. Yeah. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit upon us. Fill our minds with your truth, our hearts with your love, and bless us. Inspire us, encourage us, strengthen us in our pursuit of you. Deepen daily our exercise of faith, hope, and charity, so that in this life, but more so in the next, we may know, love, and serve you for all eternity. We ask you this, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks again. Thank you, Father.